0: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We have our first major Democrat that has announced her campaign for the governorship. Governor Mike Parson has signed a bill that will give property tax relief to seniors. We'll get to that. Plus, this is county fair season. We'll take you around the state to some of the more interesting and unique county fairs. Studies have shown that the involvement of the arts in children's education may have positive correlations on a student's academic and social success. The University of Missouri and Texas A&M are working together to start the 16th National Endowment of the Arts Research Lab. Joining Cameron Connor is assistant professor at the University of Missouri, Brian Casita, to share the importance of arts in education and the research this NEA lab intends to gather.
1: The way that I want to start this interview is at least to give a general description of the arts themselves, because when people hear just the arts, I I think it's at least a good clarification to let and remind people know what that all encompasses. So can you encompass what the arts are?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, the question about what the arts are and what the arts are in education is a good one, because I do think that sometimes there can be misperceptions out there. Uh, I think a frustration that, a lot of people in the arts field and especially arts education community have is that sometimes it's seen as a as a thrill or as like a playtime there's a lot of um, graphics that you'll see out there when people talk about arts education or if you did a google search where you get a bunch of five-year-olds playing with finger paints you know and they're having a good time and everything, but it doesn't necessarily look like a serious thing. But, you know, and, and that's all great, but seriously, the arts and education are, you know, a very serious thing in, uh, in many contexts, whether it's kids learning, um, what, you know, the history of art or the tools and skills to make art. And that, of course, encompasses, you know, visual art, dance music, media arts, a lot of different computer skills, um, liberal, uh, and choir types of activities. And I think that, oh, and then, of course, the literary arts, the literary arts, uh, you know, which sort of bleeds over the humanities. And I think these are all essential ingredients when it comes to education. If we think about not just the sort of body of knowledge that uh, has been amassed through You know, thousands of years of human history that is sort of like captured and recorded through the arts, but also in terms of like providing students with outlets to express themselves, to develop their social and emotional development, which I think the arts also help us do.
1: Okay. And for anyone that's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with an assistant professor at the University of Missouri in the Truman School of Government and Public Affairs, Brian Casita. And we're talking about a really important development that's going to be happening with collaboration from the University of Missouri and also another professor at Texas A and M University, Daniel Bowen, and this is basically to start a new NEA research lab. And for anyone that's curious about what NEA stands for, that's National Endowment for the Arts. When we're talking about sure. this research lab itself, can you kind of go into what what the research lab will do?
2: Yeah, so you know, it's a really uh, it's a really nice partnership with the National Endowment for the Arts, and they provide some funding. Uh, the NEA has been very um, savvy, I would say, in in recent years in terms of taking their relatively small federal budget. You know, the National Endowment for the Arts is, you know, 0.0001% of the national budget, about $150 million a year. So nothing compared to what we spend in so many other areas. But they're very, very strategic. And one of their strategic initiatives is to commission research through the uh creation of these research labs by partnering with um academics and arts institutions uh specifically to demonstrate through research the value and the benefit of the arts to society so it's a very interesting um way to provide sort of like a like a seed money like a catalyst to produce the type of research that frankly hasn't been uh really conducted around the arts um ever you know it's, it's been a very understudied area it's very common you know to assess things like other skills that students learn in uh, schools we all know what happens when we get um students report cards and things like that and we sort of take it for face value that these things are important but the um value of the arts is just something that hasn't really been identified what what are what are those benefits and what uh how, how can they be measured and how can uh, those be shown to have some sort of societal benefit?
1: Brian, the the next part about this, you know, and what you're going to be looking at specifically, it's looking at arts education and basically comparing it to how it involves student success. And that's not just at the individual level, that's also at the group and pro-social level. So what are at least the potential benefits of giving the arts as at least an opportunity for students to learn, and how does it overall benefit them and also their peers around them?
2: Sure, and that's uh, that's that's one of the things that people in the arts education research community have struggled with because there's really these sort of two broad categories when it comes to this type of research. One, um, one of those categories, and honestly, where the most research has been, has been driven by what the data are that are available. So. Studies, uh, previous studies have looked at correlations between students being more involved with the arts and being more likely to do, uh, to get higher SAT scores, have higher graduation rates, uh, to be more likely to go to college. Um, and that is, those studies are not necessarily rigorous, they're correlational. It may just be that students who are involved in the arts are just successful in general, and it's not really a cause and effect sort of relationship. Um, but they also, are a little bit problematic from the world of the arts because it's putting the arts out there as something that is in service of something else. Um, it's not as if we, you know, expect other subjects to necessarily bleed over. I, d- I don't think to myself, oh, does, uh, taking algebra make uh, students do better in art class, but there's a lot of researchers that uh, had previously looked at, you know, does being an arts class make you better in algebra? So it's kind of been a, a one-way sort of street there with that type of research, looking at how the arts might have transfer effects to other areas, and what's been lacking is more of just a distinct, specific look at what the actual benefits of the arts are that are just intrinsic to what is involved with learning in and through the arts and so we focused um, in in our research lab we've been trying to focus more on those um, items and from those from that approach looking at things that are more intrinsic to the experiences of making and learning through art um, those types of benefits have you know been you know there's a few I mean first and foremost arts advocates and myself included would say well there, there doesn't necessarily have to be uh, some, some extra effect. It can just be that the arts are a part of a well-rounded education and they are good in and of themselves. And learning about the arts <clears throat> is learning about, you know, a, one of the most popular ways that humans express themselves and record history and record culture. But if you take it a little bit further than that and think like, okay, well, what are some of the more ancillary benefits? Um, that are also things that we would care about from an education policy point of view. And those things would still include the arts are uh, an incredible way to learn history. The history of human civilization is most often recorded in the arts. The arts are an incredible way to learn about other cultures, because arts um, you're you're exposed to, different cultures and their arts from around the world. To go a a little bit more into the ancillary effects, There's this um, whole notion of social emotional development, which has become more and more of a thing that educators and education policymakers have started to realize are important, uh, including being corroborated by another uh, few important studies showing that social emotional development really, really is a, a strong predictor of success later in life. And so when I say social emotional development you can kind of break that down into the social and the emotional and in terms of the social the arts um they're a language and they're a way of communicating <clears throat> and often they're a way of collaborating so when students are learning um to do a, a performance in a play or something they're working with their peers they're collaborating they're involved in teamwork and 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 they're learning to express themselves. Um, So there's that whole line of research in terms of the arts being a valuable way just to learn how to communicate with others. The other um, part of social-emotional development is the emotional part, which is um, also producing a lot of research. So the arts, the theory there is that the arts um, provide a way to uh cope and deal and manage you know the aspects that uh life brings you know the the things that we are faced with in life and how do we deal with those and so many times we deal with them by engaging with the arts if, if i if i'm watching a a play or a musical or even if i'm just like binging something on netflix i'm getting something from that which is uh watching somebody's representation of reality and characters and situations and emotions and how those things are being processed and i think we take for granted how much that is an important component of our lives but if you think about it um you know more often than not it's it's stories it's parables it's other sort of like uh narratives that we incorporate and adopt into our own self view of the world that helps us navigate and make sense of this human condition And then I think like the the third main thing that research is starting to look at is just the idea of student engagement. And that means essentially that in order to learn effectively best, you would want students to actually be happy to go to school. Uh, I know when I was younger, I actually looked forward to school. I thought it was great learning about things. Um, and And I think that that was more common. And I think you know, I have kids now, and they don't like school. They hate it. And part of that has become, I think, related to um, what we've seen, which is a you know, a less a a sort of a less strong emphasis on arts and other humanities and other things that students can just engage with and find interesting. And so school sometimes, Seems a little bit more like um, learning in a prison rather than something that the students are co-producing and involved with and engaged with. You know, if we want students to learn the most effectively, they you would, you would you would expect and hope that they would get up every morning excited to go to school. And the arts seem to have a, a real benefit in that particular area.
3: Show me the day. One in seven Missouri children is food insecure, not knowing where their next meal may come from. Drive to Feed Kids is a year-round effort of Missouri farmers, agribusiness, and farm groups to address food insecurity in our state. Through meal packing events, gifted food products, odd processing, and monetary donations, the ag community provides support to the agencies serving our most vulnerable citizens. Visit mofarmerscare.com slash drive to learn more. That's mofarmerscare.com slash drive.
4: Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas as many as one in eight missourians face food insecurity every day among children the numbers are even higher to ensure missouri children have the food they need to thrive missouri's agricultural community launched drive to feed kids six years ago visit mofarmerscare.com slash drive to learn more and join the efforts
5: Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids opens the door for every Missourian to make a difference in the fight against hunger in our state. All proceeds are dedicating to feeding Missouri's network food banks who work daily to alleviate hunger. Visit mofarmerscare.com drive to learn more and join the effort. Since Missouri's agricultural community joined together to help support the launch of Missouri Farmers Care Drive to Feed Kids in 2017, the drive has generated 11,224,132 meals that have all been donated to Missourians in need. Together, we can get Missouri food products on the plates of hungry Missouri children and their families. Visit mofarmerscare.com drive to learn more and join the effort.
0: This is Show Me Today. Governor Mike Parson has signed a bill that will give property tax relief to seniors, but the bill could be blocked from taking effect. Alisa Nelson is with Doug Heider with the Missouri Association of School Administrators about the effects the bill could have on schools.
7: Well, Senate Bill 190 has a couple of provisions. Uh, one is kitchen, social security income taxation exemption, which currently exists in some form. But the bigger part that we've uh, expressed concern about and been looking at closely is the property tax credit for seniors and how that could potentially play out in regard to, to general revenue for the state of Missouri.
4: Let's say the governor decides to sign this, would this have an impact on things like, uh, could it have things uh, impacts on things like teacher raises, teacher uh, pay for retention efforts, substitute teachers, programs, activities, stuff like that?
7: Well, absolutely. You know, when you look at local school district revenue, we're all familiar that when we pay our property taxes each year, that the public school in that area is typically a large percentage recipient of those funds. So, anything that's going to decrease uh, the amount of potential revenue that they can receive is going to is going to result then in potentially loss of adding to salaries, additional staff, etc.
4: I, I'm wondering if there's like a happy medium out there to where, um, you know, we help keep the revenue flowing to schools and yet, uh, you know, help help seniors and not price them out of their homes. Any thoughts on that? Do you have any, uh, have you suggested any ways to find a path forward that way?
7: Well, I, I think your mention of a balance is a good thing. Because we definitely want to take care of our, our senior citizens who have, you know, supported and worked their entire lives, and we do need that balance to allow them to, to stay in their homes and be able to afford it. The details of this, however, from our understanding is that if you're, you know, if you're eligible for Social Security benefits, you own the home, and you're liable for the taxes, that it can basically be frozen uh, at that particular point in time, and you would never pay any more than that amount. And many of the other programs that we currently have in place, like the Circuit Breaker program, there's currently a a tax benefit on Missouri public pensions and Social Security that are dependent upon how much income that you make. So things like that where there is some balance with helping our seniors and also those who can afford to pay the tax and our higher income level earners uh, can continue to promote and support all of our public services, including schools.
4: Any idea at this point on what the governor intends to do with this bill? Or are you hearing much about it?
7: We've not heard much specifically about Senate Bill 190. As you know, you know during the session, uh, tax relief was a, a huge topic throughout the session. And originally, uh, we thought it was going to kind of center around a limit on the increase in residential property assessments. There was a 10% that was proposed at one point, and then late in session, uh, everything kind of turned, and we ended up uh, with Senator Luke Lutkemeyer and Senate Bill 190. So we were a little caught off guard, I think, uh, late in session when that happened, but not from the standpoint that tax relief, uh, of course, especially uh, on the Republican side, was a, a huge item for them throughout the session
4: would that have resulted in something much different if that's the route that uh, the legislature would have taken instead
7: yeah i think it would have uh, you know we've seen instances around the state with you know double digit multiple increases in assessed value which can be difficult for anyone you know it's important for you know county assessors to be consistent although you know we know they're elected so different people come in and out so that you're not seeing those, those huge increases. You know, there are limits on taxing entities and how much they can levy. And the consumer price index from the previous December, for instance, for school districts, it's going to limit you. So many times, even though uh, assessed value might go up 20%, uh, the consumer price index might be 5%. So you're capped at that amount of revenue that you can receive additionally. And that's when the rollback of levies come in. And so the levies then roll back to accentuate that other in this case, that other 15%. So there's safeguards in there currently, and as long as the process is consistent and fair, it works pretty well. But when it gets out of whack and then needs to be caught up, I think that's where we see these extreme examples.
4: Senate Bill 190 could freeze property taxes for Missouri's senior citizens. And, uh, you know, most of the property tax funding uh, goes to fund local schools and governments we have Doug Heider executive director of the Missouri Association of School Administrators joining show me today uh, to explain a little bit more about this and of course the governor has until July 14th to decide what he wants to do with this bill so he's got a little time left here a lot of uh, bills waiting for finalization on decisions from the governor and this is just one of them Is there anything else, Doug, that we haven't talked about when it comes to this bill that you think is important to mention?
7: Yeah, I think one item that was uh, specifically put in the bill, if the tax credit, number one, it has to be approved by the county, each individual county. So if that county uh, does not officially approve the tax credit then it would not go into effect, and that would start in 2024 if they were to do so. The second key is, you know, typically uh, governmental or public entities can roll their levy up many times to recoup uh, a loss in assessed value in other areas. But this bill specifically says that the tax credit is going to be considered tax revenue actually received by the county. And so our understanding is then uh, a local subdivision or, or public governmental entity then could not increase the levy to recapture from other means the amount of money they lost. So not only are they losing the money, but then they would not be able to recapture it under our understanding of the law.
4: You know, I'm glad you brought that part up about the counties opting in. I had forgotten about that, and that's a really important point. And I I understand what you're saying about the whole levy part. Now, but my understanding is that, the um, I'm trying to remember, is it the Missouri Association of Counties they actually, I think, have some serious concerns about this bill. Are you aware of that?
7: We are. Yeah, we've we've had correspondence and dialogue with both the counties and uh, assessors across the state. You know, what is social social uh, security el- eligibility? Is it just, that's 62, uh, 65, 67, you know, et cetera. How do you gather that information on birth dates about when the prime person of the primary residence turns? 65. Um, so there's a lot of semantics, I think, involved in the implementation of this that could be really tricky. Some have even questioned, does the language say, uh, is it insinuating this is only for the county's portion of property tax paid? We don't believe that's the case. We think it means uh, all taxing jurisdictions, but that question has been raised as well. So I, we will be surprised. I will be surprised as well, personally, uh, if this doesn't eventually end up in court Uh, with someone challenging some aspect, there are just a lot of things that are still very broad and vague at this point in time from our perspective.
4: Have they raised any concerns? You know, you were talking about the birth dates, you know, have they raised concerns about privacy issues here as well?
7: You know, that's a good question. Uh, I've not heard a lot of dialogue, you know, around that specific issue, Um, but you would have to gather that information. You know, is that, Private information is something that, you know, can be readily available. And then how do you verify if someone claims? Uh, I'm assuming there would have to be some verification there as well. So undoubtedly a lot of things that would have to be worked through to to really make this work, uh, you know, as smoothly as possible.
4: All right. If you're tuning in, want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get to the podcast. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.
5: Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s.
4: Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth.
1: And many kids also use other drugs, like
8: marijuana, in vaping devices
10: with appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots
3: of promotion on social media.
8: Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not.
3: So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you.
8: For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today.
5: It's scary.
8: Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on?
5: None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue?
8: No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids.
5: Half the time, it's rumors.
8: It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor
0: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, summertime in Missouri. Uh, We're about to kick off fair season. In fact, some are taking place right now, the state fair in August, Uh, but county fairs, I mean, that's where it all goes down. That's where the the big stuff happens. Uh, We're going to highlight some of the county fairs that uh, put their own spin on things. And uh, if you live nearby, you might want to check them out, uh, even if it's not your county. Susan Atterbury-Smith from Missouri Life Magazine is here again. Hello, Susan.
9: Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me.
0: How far back do county fairs go in Missouri?
9: Well, from what I could, could tell from my research, county fairs began as a way for communities to showcase uh, what was going on in agriculture um, initially. And also, they used to showcase new technology, new tractors, things like that. Um, and also a way for communities to come together and to show, uh, show off the fruits of the harvest. Um, you know, canned goods, domestic arts, and things like that. So that's kind of how they got their start. Um, the agricultural heritage.
0: Yeah. How, how far back are we talking?
9: Um, in Missouri, as best I could tell, the earliest one was, um, in Platte County just north of Kansas City, and that dates back to before the Civil War. Now, um, there was, of course, a hiatus there when the war happened, but they resumed very quickly um, after that and have been going ever since. The Monaco County Fair, which I believe just happened or may be going on, um, that is you know, in the in in central Missouri, is also a very old fair. So some of these do date back to before the turn of the of the
0: century. Yeah, you you talk about uh, pausing for the war, and you go back to Platt County in the 1850s. You're talking about the the Civil War, not World War II. So that's oh, that, a long time.
9: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Yes, I'm talking about the Civil War. <laughs> the Civil War. Good point. Yes, and oh. um, yes.
0: Well, that's got to be one of the oldest, then, west of the Mississippi, if we're going before the Civil War.
9: As as best I can tell, yes, it is. And so there are a couple like that in Missouri that that really date back, you know, to that, that Civil War era. Um, it seems like others began around the turn of the century um, or shortly thereafter. And, and, and some of them have been going, you know. 75 85 years and so there are quite a few long running fairs in the state
0: Susan atterbury Smith from Missouri Life magazine did some research on county fairs uh, I mean it was a chance for families to kind of show off who's got the best whether it's livestock uh, pies and baked goods kind of the the unofficial bragging rights you didn't uh, come across and it was all in a fr- friendly way I imagine you didn't come across oh, any any big fights or anything do you, you know like the Hatfield toys or anything like that?
9: <laughs> no, I wish I had. Have. That would have been a lot of fun to report on. No, I really did not at all. I did not see that. Um, I, I'm sure there are some healthy competitions going out there in the livestock arenas and you know in the in the 4-H buildings and things like that. But I didn't. I know I did not see one unfriendly competition going on. People, uh, do rodeos count? But of course, those the one I saw in Webster County was a professional rodeo, so that's what it's all about.
0: Yeah, well, that's yeah, pretty stiff competition <laughs> there between the uh, bulls yeah. and cowboys there. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. People brave the heat, and it becomes a, a part of the community. And and people are afraid to to miss a fair; they might miss something big. And you know, mm-hmm. in some of these fairs, <laughs> Susan, you found people that it's like generations have been taking part in these <laughs> county fairs.
9: Sure. sure. Well, I when you said that about Afraid to Miss the Fair, I thought of one of the first sources I mentioned. I think she is the first source, Robin Klefner, who lives in Marys County. Um, she lives in Vienna, I believe, or grew up around that area. And she never missed a fair growing up, and she was sitting there on a bench. It was a super hot day in September, waiting for her grandson, Cooper, to compete in the Kitty tractor pool. But she also told me, and unfortunately, you know, with print, journalism, space is an issue. She also talked about her father and how he had pitched horseshoes when she was growing up in competitions there at the fair and competed in a pipe smoking contest. <laughs> and and she said people would smoke that those pipes until they couldn't smoke them anymore. And then they would just drop out. Well needless to say that probably that has gone by the wayside you know as as a competition that I really got a kick out of robin's telling me about her fathers competing in that back in the day
0: yeah that's probably a good competition to drop we're going to highlight some of the <laughs> the fairest of the fairs the list that was compiled by Missouri life magazine. And there's a couple of them that are going on right now and end this weekend. And so I'll, I'll bounce around on the, on the list, um, that you guys have compiled. Uh, but the Laclede County fair, you know, you were mentioning guys that pitch horseshoes and I think our yeah. generation, our generation has just, uh, we're weak. We've gone from uh, horseshoes now to throwing beanbags bags. Uh, corn- <laughs> cornhole has now taken over for horseshoes, and I, I think our uh, granddads would look down on us and be embarrassed that we've uh, <laughs> that we've gone to cornholes. But Laclede County Fair in Lebanon, which goes on through the 15th, uh, they've got a big cornhole tournament there.
9: Yeah, this is going to be probably going to be a fierce competition. Uh, the look of intensity on the competitors' faces was uh, very strong, and so I think that uh, people certainly have something to look forward to. Could I be in a cornhole tournament? No. When we play cornhole in our backyard, we have to you know, move the boxes or whatever they're called.
0: <laughs> our grandfathers would be impressed with this. I saw a TikTok video of a professional uh, cornholer who uh, had no legs. Anyway, not to uh, get off track there, but the Osage County Fair is uh, going on until the 15th. um, And they've got some fun things, uh, like a bubblegum blowing contest. The Osage County Fair started on the 13th and runs through the 15th. uh, But they've got turtle races. I'm assuming that they started those yesterday and they'll they'll probably finish up tomorrow.
9: Uh, Maybe so. I wonder how far the turtles have gotten. That sounds like a fun fair, doesn't it? It sounds like a very kid-oriented
0: fair. Give us some insight into this uh, Phelps County Fair in Rolla coming up in early August. The Come for the Spouse Calling Contest.
9: Cause I think we could all benefit from learning how to call our spouses effectively. I can't imagine anything more entertaining than a spouse calling contest. Can you
0: uh, the last one that I want to touch on, which runs uh, September 7th through the 9th, uh, the Coal Camp Fair. In this one, they brag about their elaborate parade floats.
9: Well, it sounds like they really take pride in those floats. I mean, can you imagine how long it takes to put together handmade tissue paper flowers? Much less 15,000 to 25,000.
0: Yeah, and you know what's neat is that it seems like each county fair has their own unique spin on it, and uh, if you want to find one nearby and the dates, uh, um, Google, Facebook, probably the the best ways to go about that. Susan Atterbury-Smith from Missouri Life Magazine, great talking with you, and uh, enjoy fair season.
9: Great talking with you, Bill. I'm going to take my twin grandchildren to the Ozark Empire Fair in August, and we're going to buy a jug of root beer and possibly a funnel cake.
0: Yeah, funnel cake, that's a a necessity. (laughs) Thank you, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri.
10: University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart, like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us. Eat smart like a tiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP.
5: Having enough food is a concern for many Missouri families, and it isn't restricted to rural or urban areas. Missouri Farmers Care Drive Defeat Kids opens the door for every Missourian to make a difference in the fight against hunger in our state. All proceeds are dedicating to feeding Missouri's network food banks who work daily to alleviate hunger. Visit mofarmerscare.com drive to learn more and join the effort.
3: One in seven Missouri children is food insecure, not knowing where their next meal may come from. Drive to Feed Kids is a year-round effort of Missouri farmers, agribusiness, and farm groups to address food insecurity in our state. Through meal packing events, gifted food products, odd processing, and monetary donations, the ag community provides support to the agencies serving our most vulnerable citizens. Visit mofarmerscare.com slash drive to learn more. That's mofarmerscare.com slash drive. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year,
4: dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved?
6: Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking?
4: If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic.
6: Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon, Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call
5: 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org/help.
0: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm your host, Bill Pollack. Glad you're with us. Missouri's governor race is heating up, and we have our first major Democrat to announce their campaign. Springfield's Crystal Wade joins Marshall Griffin to discuss her announcement.
6: I've covered you a number of years in the legislature, and um, we've you know visited a few times, so this this is going to be definitely a new chapter for you uh, running for this office, and, and also if uh, you win this office. So, Let's start out first with uh, letting people know who you are. You know, someone in Hannibal might not be quite familiar with you as uh, Springfield. So who is Crystal Quaid?
10: I appreciate that. Um, so I grew up in southwest Missouri. Um, and, you know, most of my childhood, I, my early years, I was raised by a single mom who waited tables. Um, and we moved out to Webster County. My stepfather got a great factory job, and which really propelled me and, and allowed me to be able to be the very first in my family to graduate high school, which is something I'm really proud about. Um, I moved to Springfield to go to Missouri State University to get my degree in social work and um, was a social worker before becoming a lawmaker. I'm a mom of three, and I've been the uh, minority leader in Jefferson City uh, since my second term.
6: Now, the campaign uh, video that you released shows you um, on roller skates taking part in a roller derby. Now, did you really do roller derby at one time? Is that just for the commercial?
10: I did. No, I played for many years for the Springfield Roller Derby team.
6: How does something like that prepare you for the world of politics?
10: (laughs) Uh, That's a really great question. Um, You know, one of the things that I I love about roller derby and and kind of that – culture is you're exposed to so many different types of people and our team traveled a lot actually so um, we got to go to various places throughout the midwest meet a lot of folks and you know it teaches you how to obviously be a a part of a team and work together but also be able to be really tough and get back up after falling (laughs) you have to give hits you got to take hits and then you you still hug it out immediately afterwards so it's a lot like politics in that way
6: well, let's get back to politics for a second. You've been um, in the Missouri House for some time now, and you've been, uh, I believe, for the past two years, have been minority floor leader. Or was it? It was, or has it been longer than that? Remind me.
10: I am on my uh, so the numbers are all running together. I will have six years total as the leader. So I've, I just finished my fifth this year.
6: And so your term limited out of the House, I'm, I'm assuming. And did you consider running for the state senate, or was this uh, is, uh, running for governor something you've want you've wanted to do for a while?
10: So um, my state Senate seat actually isn't up this election cycle either way, um, So, but I would say that, um, you know, governor was not something that I had always planned on doing. Um, when I got to Jefferson City, I did get to serve on the budget committee, and when it, it became an idea of if I could serve in any capacity beyond the state house, like, what is your dream job in politics? And for me, it would be governor of our state, absolutely, for so many reasons. Um, but I really decided— during this legislative session that now is the time and that we were gonna jump in. You know, the in my seven years there, it has become more extreme and less is getting done. Um, this year, we had the fewest amount of bills outside of COVID, um, I believe in my lifetime, and it's just not working anymore. And it really uh, brought me to the point of saying that now is the time.
6: You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin. We're speaking with Crystal Quaid of Springfield. She is the uh, represents uh, Springfield in the Missouri House. She's been the minority floor leader for several years, and she is now seeking the Democratic nomination for governor of Missouri. Now, I believe you have said that you want to build bridges to the other side, and but you've had some pretty visible clashes with uh, the Republican leadership, especially this year over the uh the some of the transgender bills that uh, made it to the governor's desk um, how do you build bridges with someone or with a with a side that you've had some really big clashes with and disagreements with
10: you know i have always had lots of clashes and disagreements with the other side but then also have been able to get a lot of things done um i have had many bills uh, be filed and and uh filed by republicans that are now law um, by working with folks on the other side of the aisle and. Even when we have these stark disagreements, which I absolutely have, especially with the leadership, you know, we still we still work together when it makes sense. Just a few, couple weeks ago, the speaker and I were, were speaking on panels together for several hours with some high school kids. You know, politics is one of those things where um, you're going to have disagreements on solid core value issues. Um, But there is also lots of room and always room for discussion um, and collaboration. And, you know, representing a district like Springfield um, since 20 since the 2016 election cycle, I've had to build those bridges. I've had my yard sign in the same yard sign as Donald Trump. (laughs) And I do that by talking to folks and being honest and open and listening.
6: Let's see you get elected governor of Missouri. Uh, What do you do the first day you're in office?
10: uh the first the first day in office i start hiring folks who are really good at their jobs <laughs> um but no you know the the governor's office has a lot of responsibilities but you know one of those being the administration of our state agencies and so i definitely want to do a deep dive in our into our agencies to find out what's working well what's not working well um you know in my time in the legislature we've had a lot of problems with the way these the different agencies have been been being ran from department of revenue um, to Children's Division, and so I really want to spend a lot of time reinvesting in those agencies so that Missourians are getting what they what they need from their state government, um, you know, and then the next phase of that, um, and I would say also on the first day, we start diving into the state budget um, because the, the governor sets the tone, uh, hands over the, the first ideas of the budget, and I really want to spend a lot of time making sure that we're investing in Missouri in a way that makes sense and helps folks.
6: Are there any particular areas of Missouri that you feel is not being invested in uh, properly or enough?
10: Absolutely. Uh, you know, our we've done, we did a lot this year for infrastructure, and I'm very grateful that we were able to do the things that we were. But there's still a lot uh, that needs to be done when it comes to our roads and bridges. Uh, you know, the governor actually vetoed some funding for I-44, um, and we need to be... Doing a lot more for our ports as well. You know, Missouri being the middle of the country um, and a hub for transportation. We need to be doing that. Um, we need to be doing more for childcare. You know, the, we tried to do some things this year, legislative year, um, but we did, we, those proposals weren't able to actually make it to the governor's desk. But we need to be investing in real early childcare for families because that is such a huge barrier, not only for folks getting back to work, but for our small business owners to be successful. Um, and again, looking at our state agencies, you know, um, I'm a social worker, so I definitely have a heart for, for the way that our children's division is being ran or the, where those issues exist. But, you know, we're, we also, I also get stories every day from Missourians who are waiting for hours on end to at the License Bureau offices to be able to renew their license, right? So there are a lot of places that we need to be investing in.
6: You're listening to Show Me Today. This is Marshall Griffin, and we are speaking with Crystal Quaid. She's uh, running for the Democratic nomination for governor. She currently represents Springfield in the Missouri House of Representatives and has served as minority, minority floor leader in the Missouri House. Now, at one time, it uh, wasn't that long ago, Missouri was considered a bellwether state. A purple state could go either way, depending on the election and who may be running. In more recent years, it's been considered a solid red state with the exceptions of St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia, and, uh, and parts of Springfield. So how do you as a Democrat um, uh, reach out to areas that are solidly Republican and, uh, and get them to say, hey, you know what, you, you would be a good choice to represent them in the governor's office?
10: Yes. So I, you know, when we look at the ballot initiatives that have passed recently in our states, from the the marijuana, the the minimum wage increases, anti-right to work, minimum, um, you know, the Medicaid expansion ballot initiatives, those initiatives passed not just because these cities turned out, but also because rural Missouri voted towards that. And um, we know that For anyone to win statewide, it has to be a both-and conversation. We have to get folks to, um, in the cities, increase voter turnout, but we also do need to reach folks throughout the state of Missouri. And I believe that um, throughout the state of Missouri, regardless of where folks live, they are frustrated with the um, infighting, they're frustrated with the extremism, and frustrated with lack of production out of Jefferson City. Folks are struggling um, everywhere throughout our state um, for various reasons, and they want government to to actually care and pay attention and stop fighting about these um, super extreme partisan issues and actually be investing and spending time in things that help make their lives better. And so we're going to spread that message everywhere that we go throughout the state. And I do think that that some folks will identify with that.
6: That was Crystal Quaid. She is the minority floor leader for the Missouri House, and she is seeking the Democratic nomination for governor of Missouri. If you're tuning in late, or if you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri.
0: Show me today.